Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, this is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. You know, brilliant minds solving today's business challenges can come from anywhere. And today's guest leaped from serving in the Israeli Defense Forces Elite Intelligence Agency, and maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that, to being a technology expert and an absolutely remarkable company founder that now you have the privilege of, privilege of getting to know. So I would love to welcome Saji Allahu to the show. So, Saji, introduce yourself formally and tell everybody about your company. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, hi, everyone. My name is Sagi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. Um, started a company almost six years ago and, uh, you know, very excited to the stage we're in right now, um, growing and, and helping a lot of com- big companies. Tonkin is, uh, we call it the operating system for business operations. Uh, it's a platform that allows uh, companies in um, and operation teams within uh, different industries, different size of companies to really take ownership of uh, how they solve problems in their organization and how they improve their business processes uh, by enabling them to really build and compose their own customized solutions with no code. Um, and so instead of relying on engineering and IT uh, to provide them with resources to solve problems, they can leverage their own, you know, mind and creativity, um, and just you know build like Lego blocks their own solution and uh, improve their business. So thank you for having me, and I'm excited to uh, have this conversation today. Well, first I have to I, I practiced your name and I still butchered it, so thank you so much for that. Um, but that's what I get when I talk to people from um, from all over the world. And today we're talking to you and you're based in, uh, are you in California today? I am. I'm in uh, the Bay Area, yeah, Palo Alto. Very nice. So I love companies that are solving practical problems for businesses. And I, I know um, I've been to the website. And so for our listeners, we always like to tell you if you're near a computer, the website is um, T-O-N-K-E-A-N. Um, dot com. And you've got this lovely little video and the video, I've got to say, makes it seem so simple. But <laughs> when you when you talk about, you know, no code solutions as a business operator, I get very excited because I can relate to the problem of I've got all these little pieces everywhere and you invest all this money and then somehow things still fall through the cracks. But but can you give me some um, and our listeners just a few more like practical examples of of the types of things um, that companies come to you for and how you solve them? Yeah. So you you touched on an important point when we think about solving um, business problems today with technology. There's all there's has been like that for a while now. There's sort of two solutions, two options. You either go and buy off the shelf, sort of like package software, package application, mm-hmm. obviously became much easier to do with SaaS and cloud, um, or you custom build, you know, with engineering resources. And when you do want to give the sort of control into the business, it's really limited to buying off the shelf. So you're trying to, 
you know, trying to solve a business problem, you're trying to figure out what different pieces you can buy to kind of make means where the end of it, you end up with, you know, a dozen that doesn't really talk to each other. It doesn't really align necessarily. Um, and this piecemeal of, of, of software, unfortunately, ends up creating more uh, inefficiencies than actually helping solving uh, the original problem. And I think so, battles within companies because, you know, production likes their software and sales likes their software, exactly. right? So it's a lot of debate inside a company. Exactly. And in fact, the the way, I, you know, me personally, how I started talking and the reason, you know, we started the company and the way we believe in, in talking in general is that business processes are actually not about data. They're about people. But 100% of software today is focused on the data. And to your point, the reason salespeople like their own software, legal people like their own software, you know, marketing likes like their own software because they're different people. They have different, you know, goals and different way of, of working, different culture even sometimes. And so even though behind the scene, it's, it's all similar data. Mm-hmm. If you're a technical person, you know, it's all just um, rows and columns of information. Uh, there's a huge, you know, bespokeness of how each area of the business want to work. So when you think about it that way, you're realizing that to solve any process that is centered around people or cross-functional even more, it's not gonna, it's gonna, not gonna happen by buying one thing that's gonna fit everyone because it's just irrational to the way you know they like to work. Well, and so, I think all business leaders hate the hate APIs. APIs, APIs. And that's, and so I'm, I'm like, okay, you guys, Tonkin has, a, has this magic wand and I still don't think I fully understand it. Like that's the website and I'm listening to you and I still don't understand how the magic wand works. So if you, so if you double click into it, right. So APIs is literally the way to interface data. And again, if you're a business person, if you're, let's say in sales operations or in legal operations, so you're in that legal department, but you're responsible for the operation, right, for the process. You still don't understand necessarily data flows. You're not an engineer. So APIs doesn't say anything to you because mm-hmm. they're just the technical way of connecting data. What Tonkin does is we created an abstraction layer, which you call the magic wand. <laughs> but it's really, <laughs> it's really just taking those complexities and trying to wrap them into what we what we call enterprise components. So componentize it, make it composable in the sense of you can compose your own solution with those billing blocks. And if we think about it from a, from a, from a practical perspective, let's say you have a process around contract, right? Yeah. Everyone knows contracts, you know, turnaround time for contracts is extremely important uh, for your sales velocity and so on. In a, nat- in, you know, in a normal environment, what happens is, let's say your contract turnaround time is not fast enough you know, someone in the business, maybe sales, maybe someone else, you know, would come and say, hey, this is not fast enough. We need to improve it. Legal would get blamed. They'll go search for a solution, you know, go online and search for a contract management system. As if the only reason the contracts are slow is because you're not <laughs> managing them well enough. Now, I'm not saying that's Wait, not... I'm going to say, I think I've had employees say those things to me. So <laughs> I'm believing here. It's, it's really what it is. It's literally... Any... If only you spent this $9,000 on this piece of software, I would do my job better. 
yeah exactly and 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 that's the funny thing is that it's not it's not completely wrong like a lot of times mm-hmm. you know you do need to start you need to organize your contracts better or whatever you know whatever it is uh, but that's almost like the baseline because what happens is if you do and you see nine thousand it's more of like a million dollar you know for bigger companies yeah. and you just spend a million dollar in in nine to twelve months to just deploy this thing um and then no one's using it why is that well salespeople they don't really care about your contract management system or your legal portal and it's not because they're bad people it's because they're what i call personal roi right their personal return return over investment of what's important is different than what the the legal team is and to be honest what's the company roi is too the company really cares about the the contracts to be organized Salespeople just want to get their contracts, in, you know, as fast as possible. So they'll continue to do what they always do, which is emailing legal at company.com and just ask, where's my NDA? I need an MSA. You know, please, someone help me. It's urgent. Uh, and legal and, and attorneys and, um, and lawyers, they don't want to leave Outlook or email. You know, they just want to stay where they, they like to live too. So what happened is when you're trying to find something to um, – when you don't understand deeply enough what is the role of every part of the machine, you end up just replacing inefficiencies with other inefficiencies. So with that example, if we then put Tonkin here, Tonkin is basically a layer that sits, sits on top of it and aim to orchestrate and align the different pieces um, to your custom business logic. And this is kind of why it's confusing sometimes and, and it's, it's nuanced. Because my point is that just like you can't buy one thing to fit all, you can't buy one process to fit all. Even the, this contract approval, um, even if every company has it, it's going to look different. It's going to look different. depends on the tools you have, but it's also going to look different. depends on the, on the culture and the type of work you do and so on. So it's really key that you'll be able, that the business will be able to define their own logic, their own process, like what's happened when. You know, what do, how do we going to handle requests that comes from um, salespeople that are about, you know, NDA versus how are we going to, you know, handle those if they're litigation questions? What if it's a VP asking versus an IC, you know, individual contributor? Like, what do we, what are we going to do? How, how do we want to handle it? Maybe some of the things we can automatically handle. Like, you want an NDA, maybe I can just generate one for you. Maybe if it's a litigation request, I don't want to mess around. I just want to bring it to the relevant lawyer. So that type of work is what we call orchestration. Mm-hmm. It's really conducting the situation versus automating it. So it's not about automating the tasks. It's about streamlining the entire process. It's somewhat like you know what assembly line did for a factory floor back in the day. You know We work today like a pre-assembly line factory floor everyone has their own state you know station of work some of it is heavy machines some of it is just group of people you know using you know doing things by hand uh, but there's nothing that actually help us um coordinate it uh and so long story short with Tonkin in this in this picture the salespeople can stay in in their email or in this in their crm and Tonkin would connect to those uh, lawyers can stay in their email or maybe in the even SMS sometimes, um, and they can stay in that. 
and then the and then the data at the end of the day can live in the CLM in the contract management system, um, and or whatever you know whatever it is. But the process itself, you know, what happens when these things you know come in? What happens if the if the cust, cust request about the customer is a big customer, is a VIP customer, or a small customer? All of that logic blocks are defined within Tonkin without code, with a with a way for someone that is not technical but understand the process to actually compose that and maintain it over time. Uh, because that's the last thing I'll say about it is that business processes are not static. They always change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to ask, you're on this huge mission to solve this very practical problem in, in business operations, which, which is so, so critical. How did you go? I always like asking my company founders how they how they ended up with this this mission. And so in the intro, I, I teased. And so we have to go back to first. Tell us what on earth you were doing in the Israeli Defense Force. What was your what was your role? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, we need to go a bit further back if we if we want to go there. But um, I always like to say that um, I'm a software guy. I was, you know, I was writing code since I was. 10, 9, 10 years old, um, before there was Google to, you know, search online for how to do things, um, was really uh, learning by by building, by just, you know, making projects and, and games. Uh, in the Army, I, I served in the intelligent unit uh, in a technical role. Um, I can't say what I did, and you honestly oh. don't want to know. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but uh, but very highly technical, um, you know, very deep techno- technology, technological problems. Um, and, you know, after the army, I was, I joined a small startup and also, you know, in a, in a software engineering role, this startup got acquired and I got the chance to grow a team Um significantly from you know a handful of people to over 100 um even 150 people and at that point i was vp engineering that was a public company and you know got the i got the opportunity to basically grow through you know with my team grow the operation and grow the you know the different areas of the business that you know we had impact on and uh that's how i ended up in in the us too because i'm originally from israel and so when you, you know, when you grow really fast, one thing that happens is that, you know, the, the reality that was true six months ago is no longer the, the current reality. And so it's much easier to see, you know, the difference. And as, as things start to grow, you know, operational challenges come up. You know, you need to align more people and you need to align more, you know, more areas of the business and so again, being a software guy, my first first you know approach to anything is like oh, I'll just throw software at it. <laughs> and uh, by trying to do that, I um, I realized we have a gap. I realized that everything I had you know to to use and that we bought was limited. Everything I could have built myself uh, would take too long to build custom, and I just felt like what is really needed is a way to do some stuff custom, but without the heavy lifting of, of building something completely from scratch. Because I also don't want to change the behavior of people. I want them to stay where they are. I just want the logic and the process to be different. 
And so it just feels, you know, it just felt like a big enough problem to solve, you know, misuse of software in the enterprise that just felt like a big enough problem to solve. So I decided, <laughs> well, I guess if not me, then who, right? And if not now, then when? Well, tell so, us about how you then took this step out. Um, and I'm sure having worked in a company that had that kind of accelerated growth, that was probably a, a really wonderful experience for you as a, a company founder. So tell us um, about those did you did you start and incubate your your concept for a while? Did you work with an accelerator? Tell us about those early days when you you know from concept to we're incorporated and opening our doors. So it is actually interesting. So another thing I like to say a lot is, you know, we've been around for six years now, and I feel like I've been singing the same song for six years. And six years ago, that wasn't uh, that wasn't as clear uh, for a lot of people. And part of it was, you know, obviously our ability to grow and understand the market, but also many times when you when you do come up with something new that is slightly different, it takes time. It takes time for the market to to be ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's uh, something that I learned the hard way that, you know, when they say timing is is the most important thing, it really is about the fit. It's, it's a two-way timing match. You know, it's not just... Um, you know, you being ready or the market being ready is both you and the market needs to kind of meet in the middle in the right at the right time. And so, you know, when I started the company, again, being a product guy, technology guy, we just went, you know, dive head first into building a product. And, you know, like many, when you when you do that and then you sort of like put it in front of people, you only then seeing all the different, all the different things that that are missing or were wrong assumptions. But but we learned a lot from it. So we iterated multiple times. And about three years ago, maybe yeah, two and a half to three years ago, it's where uh, I really feel that the market and 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 us as a company met sort of like at the right point. And since then, we've seen. Uh, uh, a lot of healthy growth, which I'm very, very thankful for. Well, let me ask you about, um, there's this concept I called, you know, the trust of co-founders. And um, I'm always curious um, how you met your co-founder and how you have settled in um, as you built the company to who spearheaded, you know, which part of the operation. So tell us a little bit about your co-founder. Yeah, so my co-founder um, is the CTO of, his name is Ophir, and he was actually with me since the army. Um, we met the first day of the army. Oh, um, <laughs> well, now that's like a touching story. Now, it's a touching story. <laughs> actually, we it's, it's quite funny. We you know we went um, went down from the from the bus that they get you there, and they kind of tell you to, you know to set your your stuff on a, in a line, and you're all like eighteen and have no idea what's going on, and so we just happened to. Um, you know, to just like be assigned one next to each other and uh-huh. start talking. That's kind of, that's kind of where it started, but we worked together through the army. We worked together and then we, and then we worked together uh, both, you know, the same, at the same company and, and grew together. So as I grew as, you know, in leadership and, you know, eventually become VP engineering, he grew as an architect with me. So um, we've been work, working together for over 13, 14 years now. So um you know, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of trust 
is extremely important. We're also a global company from the beginning, from mm-hmm. the get-go. So the the business and the HQ is in the U.S., um, but the R&D was always in Israel. And so he's in Israel. So when you do, when you do that type of structure, even more, you have to have, you know, full trust in, um, in, in, in very deep relationship where I know that he'll raise the flags that needs to be raised without me asking, right? So that type of thing is extremely important. Um, but that's, you know, he's, he's, the, he's the co-founder, but our founding team, which is like, you know, the first five people that, that joined the, the company for me, they are, they're as founders as, as the, you know, as the, as the, you know, first um, founders, it's um, all of them actually are from that same unit in the army and, uh, but different, different ages. Like, okay. So I don't want to go to dinner with you guys and like make one of you angry at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's community, you know, in the U S you have, um, you know, you have your um, alumni from, from universities that are, you know, so like a hot pot of, of, of talent, then it's very similar in, in, in Israel uh, in, from the army perspective. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that team is, 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 this is the point you need to, you need to have an entrepreneurship type of mindset, but then you also need, I completely agree with your point about the trust. It's a lot of trust and a lot of, um, sort of a deeper understanding of of where you know where is the strength and weaknesses of each because no one is perfect mm-hmm. so like really building a team that um complement each other um because it's not easy in the first years you're really trying to you know go through the the dog forest and trying to find you know figure well, out I, the, I don't want to we're, we're going to come up on our time quickly and i don't want to ask a lot but did you all um bootstrap this pull your money together did you go out and do um get investor funding how did you get that first financial start um so i was lucky to have a you know good networking relationship you know for my previous roles so i was able to secure you know angels investment mm-hmm. um but we were very very scrappy for years because you know we 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 really wanted to figure out first what's going on so it's really been three years. I have the company life that was very, very scrappy with just a little bit of money from angels. Um, and then when things start to uh, kick, they, you know, they, they, they go, they tend to go fast when that happens. So we had a very big seed round when, when that happened in 19 and then 20 to 20, we had a big A round. And now this year, 2021, we had the big um, B round. And so um, we've, you know, we grew from five, 10 people um, in the beginning of 2020 to now almost 80 people. So it's, you know, it's, it's, wow. kind of, it's it, it, and we're planning to even double that in the next few months. So it's very exciting time. Yeah, very- good thing you have, good thing you're um, a process uh, business expert, right? You can, <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. We actually <laughs> now you have to do it for yourself. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, quick question: Where do you go to get your inspiration, uh, mentorship on being the best CEO you can be? Do you have time for it, or are you working all the time? <laughs> it's uh, that's a good question. So I think there's uh, there's the 
I would say the, the philosophical version of it, which is, you know, for me, I always, I love, like my favorite reading type is biographies. I just love, ah. to, you know, learn by osmosis, you know, from reading um, people I admire, you know, even with their struggles and their, you know, personalities, issues, sometimes, um, you, you know, you, I really find it the most inspiring and, you know, now, you know, streaming services, Netflix and whatever has, you know, similar uh, programs. So I always recommend that as a way to kind of really think through how, you know, those people were able to think, you know, go through their, their uh, struggles. And then on the, on the tactical, like practical situations, you gotta, you gotta, uh, surround yourself with um, people and, and um, ecosystem of people that uh, that care. And, you know, that's kind of, a lot of times is angels, a lot of times is, you know, when you do bring VC monies is to find partners that you know, can help themselves and can help, in you know, sort of like expand that, that ecosystem. So, you know, I feel lucky with a lot of very, very successful and very, experienced people that I was, you know, able to add to the network of Tonkin and that I can, you know, pick up the phone and, and message when I need, uh, when I need an advice. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's important. Yep. So I want to ask you, what is the vision? If we come back and talk to you in two two to three years, and you kind of already gave a little insight into the accelerated growth, um, but what's the vision for either yourself or for the company in, in the next few years? Yeah, so I think actually the most important thing for me is not even the efficiency gains or you know process improvements as much as um, we our mission as a company, by the way, is we call it making a world of makers. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that again, being a software guy, actually, I really, really value the impact that software made on my life and what it means to be able to build things. And in a digital world that we live in, it's it's basically like a superpower. You can build whatever you want. But I don't know if you know that it's stunning, stunningly only, I think less than 0.4% of the population that can code. It's very, very, very small fraction of us that has the, possess this power. And for, and that's, just makes no sense to me you know in the way i think about the world we call it makers it's the concept of people that has when they see a problem Mm -hmm. their immediate reaction is how can i solve this versus hey we have a problem you know and i believe that there's at least 10 20 percent if not 30 percent of people uh in general are makers just you know look at tribal society you know tribal humanity if if you didn't have at least 10 20 people out of a hundred that can make things, you know, we wouldn't survive as a, as a society. So you really, um, you're really missing out on a lot of people that can make a difference that can create, innovate, you know, impact just because they, they don't know how to code or they don't have, you know, the, the sort of like the personality or skill set that requires there. And so by, abstracting some of those complexities 
what we're really after is to enable, is to expand the pie, is enable more people to be able to do things. Not only allowing people that can only do it today, do it faster, but actually expanding it. And at that point, I think the impact is no more, is no, is no longer linear. It becomes exponential and you don't even know where it will take you. So that's kind of what's exciting about what we do and why, why we're doing it is really trying to, you know, make a world of makers. Well, and I'm listening to you and, and I, I think about how many people in the technology space are truly, truly concerned about the digital divide. And, and we hear so much about, you know, where is the global wealth right, right now? And so I'm listening to you and I can think of other wonderful company founders and entrepreneurs that I've spoken with that have these similar um, passion points. And so I really appreciate um, what you're saying. Uh, we, we need to come to a close. So if people want to learn more, connect with you, find out more from the company, where can they go? Yeah, definitely the website, like you mentioned, uh, tonking.com. We have an, a community that we actually created for operations uh, individuals. Um, it's not directly Tonking community. It's, uh, it's just sponsored by us, but it's called, uh, it's just operations.community. That's the URL. It's called Adaptive Ops. We're doing amazing um, uh, hackathons, and, and and we have one coming up in December uh, to help nonprofits and match them with makers around the world to help them, you know, for free. And uh, we're excited about that. We had a very um, good one last year. And then obviously, you know, social media, Twitter, um, and just find us online. Uh, we're happy to talk to you know to anyone that uh, that believe in this cause. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Um, I, it was some new things. Um, usually I, I get tips, but I can't tell people, you know, how to go find their co-founder uh, by serving in the army. That was a, that was a lovely story. I really <laughs> appreciated that one. Um, to our listeners, um, if Sagi said, shared something that resonated with you, or you think somebody else needs to inter- hear this interview, pass it along to them. Of course, we love reviews and um, you can go to your favorite podcast site and give us a review. And also, um, if you haven't, you can pick up my book, Building Your Brand, Make Business Happen in a Global Economy that has lovely case story stories from uh, disruptive CEO nation guests. So until then, keep your eye on the future. Always be disruptive. And again, thank you for taking your time and being a wonderful guest for us today. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.